0: Making an awful noise. Good morning, and welcome to Keep Lefty Programme of the Labour College. In the studio is John Lafferty. Good morning, everybody, and myself Chris Gaffney. Well, you may not have read about it in the media. It has appeared, but in very, in a very dulcetary way, and that is that uh, of the strike that's happened in India. And you say, well, why are we interested in that? Well, trade union leaders in India are reluctant to say exactly how many struck work. On September the second, that's what, a couple of weeks ago. But they do say that the strike, the seventeenth general strike, well, how many have we had in Australia? No.
1: The seventeenth general not.
0: strike since India adopted its neoliberalist policy in nineteen ninety one was the largest ever. The corporate new media, the corporate news media, who's no fan of strikes, reported that the number of strikers exceeded the estimated 150 million workers. Can you conceive of that? 150 million workers. A number of newspapers suggested the real figure is 180 million Indian workers walked off the job. If that's the case, this is the largest reported general strike in history. Mm. And what was the local coverage of it? No. Was there I didn't know about it. I, well, no. I didn't see it in The Age or The Sun. Someone said they saw a bit of it on um, social media and that's about it. Well, it's not been given very much consideration for the obvious reason that workers aren't meant to go on strike. Might and
2: give people ideas. It
0: might give you an idea. For them, of course, for the press, worker struggles are an inconvenience to daily life. It's, it's far better for the corporate media project a strike as a disturbance, as a nuisance to the citizens, who are usually the workers, of course, that seem to live apart from the workers. These citizens aren't, in fact, workers at all. It's middle-class outrage that defines the coverage of a strike, Mm -hmm. not the issues that move workers to take this heartfelt and difficult action. A leading international business consultancy firm reported a few years ago that 680 million Indians lived in deprivation. These people, half the Indian population are deprived of the absolute basic necessities of life, such as food, energy, housing, drinking water, sanitation, health care, education and social security. Most of the Indian workers and peasants count amongst the deprived. 90% of Indian workers are in the informal sectors, where protections at the workplace are minimal and their right to form unions virtually non-existent. And these workers aren't marginal to India's economic growth, In 2002, the National Commission on Labour found that the primary source of all future work for all Indians would be in the informal sector, which already produces half the GDP. The future of Indian labour, then, is informal, with occasional rights delivered to prevent grotesque violations of human dignity. Hope for the Indian worker is simply not part of the agenda for for the leadership in India. The Prime Minister, Modi, mm. uh, did not pay, the, pay any heed to these workers. His goal is to increase India's growth rate, which, judged by the example when he was Chief Minister of the state of Gujarat, can be accomplished by a cannibal-like attitude towards workers' rights and the livelihood of the poor. Sounds like Scott Morrison. Selling off state assets, giving huge lucrative deals to private businesses, and opening the door of India's economy to foreign direct investment, These are all mechanisms designed to increase the growth rate.
2: And this opening the door to the foreigners, this is what we all hear about. And you'll get it in the business pages, maybe. And when Modi was elected earlier on, he got an awful lot of very, very good media.
0: He's a right-wing nationalist, Oh, yes, Modi. of course. And, and following the same neoliberal agenda that's been followed in Australia since the mid-80s. Only 4% of the Indian workforce is in unions. If these unions merely fought to defend their tenuous rights, their power would erode even further. Union power suffered greatly since the Indian economy liberalised in 1991, with Supreme Court judgments against union democracy and with the global commodity chain pitting Indian workers against workers elsewhere. So it's not just our workers... Mm -hmm. We've got to reduce the wages in in, in Australia hmm. to compete with Asia, even in places where the worker, the wages are shocking, mm-hmm. like in India. They're being told they've got to compete yeah, with got, even yeah, la- lower right. wages.
2: Yeah, with Bangladesh, with China, etc., etc.
0: What power remains with unions can only grow if they do what they've been doing, no, namely to turn towards the immense mass of the informal workers and peasants who are ununionised, and draw them into the culture of unions and class struggle. Of course, class struggle isn't the invention of the unions or of the workers. In India, it's a fact of life for labour in the capitalist system. The capitalist buys the labour power of workers, seeks to make that labour power as efficient and as productive as possible. He retains the gains from this productivity, sending off the worker to their slums at night to find a way to get the energy to come back for the next day and, of course, produce the next generation of workers. When the workers want a better share of the output, the capitalist doesn't listen. It is the strike, a working-class weapon invented in the 19th century that provides the workers with a voice to enter the class struggle in a conscious way. Mm-hmm. In India, the first strike was in April 1862 when the railway workers of Howrah Rail Railway Station struck over the right for an eight-hour day. These workers in 1862 didn't want a ten-hour shift that deprived them of their life. Their strike allowed them to say, we will not work more than eight hours. The critics of the strike will say, surely there are other ways. We hear this in Australia. Sure, there are other ways of getting your voice heard. Well, no other way has been shown to actually work. Mark, yes. And that's why the, the ruling class are so against you striking because mm. that's the only weapon you've got and it's the only one that's going to have any effect.
2: Much better to have a fair and impartial referee when the two teams aren't actually, uh, you know... Well, that's right, <laughs> particularly
0: if the refugee happens to be a representative of the, the employer. Yes. <laughs> work is in Modis, he's the Prime Minister's home state of Gungeret, joined the strike with great enthusiasm. This included over 70,000 creche and midday meal workers as well as port workers. Garment workers in the Tamil Nadu and the automobile factory workers in Karnataka closed their shops. Banks and insurance employees joined power loom operators and iron ore miners, while transport workers across the country decided to stand outside their bus and trunk depots. Communist unions joined with other unions to ensure the widest mobilisation of workers. Each local union in the strike has its own grievances, its own worries, but the broad issues that unite these millions of workers revolve around the demand for workplace democracy, the demand for a greater share of the social wealth, and the demand for a less toxic social landscape. The workers, through their unions, took their 12 port demands to the government, which ignored them. At the last minute, when it seemed as if the strike would be huge, the government attempted to make small concessions. This wasn't enough. It was, as the labour unions put it, an insult. There is no exception that the strike itself will lead, there's no expectation the strike will lead to actual major concessions from the government. After all, last year, 150 million workers went on strike and the government didn't shift from its anti-worker policies. What the strike says is, that India's workers remain alive to the class struggle. Any feeling that class struggle is over, forget it. They have not surrendered to reality, capitalist reality. Mm -hmm. In 1991, when the government decided to open the the economy to the turbulent interest of global capital, the workers rebelled. In August 92, textile workers in Bombay took the streets in their undergarments. They declared the new order would leave them in abject poverty and they were right. So that's amazing, which you don't hear from the modern media because they don't want they don't want you to see that countries overseas are doing what you should be doing
2: <laughs> well, I got yesterday's age unusual for me, but uh yeah. There's nothing in it there. No. I don't no. expect it to be anything in the Herald Sun. No, no, no. <laughs> so, you Even know. less likely than the Australian. <laughs> I don't know what they're gibbering on about, but you would think there are 150 million people going on strike would be some kind of Not a news story. At least, uh, <laughs> yeah. at least one of those three-line things. Yeah, yeah, you think so. <laughs> yeah. So is it me? Yep, if you'd like to. Okay, so uh yeah, still in Asia. Rodrigo Duterte became president of the Philippines. Uh, it was roughly two months ago. He's a very active leader, Duterte. He was tested internationally straight away when a court in The Hague found in the Philippines favour regarding the rules of the sea and the South China waters, the South China Sea uh, decision. Rather than act in a belligerent way towards China, as Washington might have wanted, President Duterte has chosen to walk a fine line. His country is an old US colony and an ally, but same as Australia. Its biggest trading partner is China. He wisely wouldn't want to um, alienate either one. This week, Barack Obama, so this is last week, because this is actually uh, last week's little uh, article, which I had, but uh, 9-11 got in the way. But uh, last week, Barack Obama was visiting various Asian countries and attending an ASEAN summit. He hasn't always made himself popular on his visit. First, there was a diplomatic incident in China, and then another incident when Obama decided to lecture the Philippines' new, democratically elected, incidentally, with a huge popularity rating, president Obama has made a habit of lecturing people of roulette. some months back. He was lecturing the British people on how they should vote in the Brexit. That worked out well, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, Br- the Brits, or at least a good number of them, chose to completely ignore Obama, and he probably swayed the vote, actually. I'm sure he did. Yeah. This week he's been, or last week, sorry, he has been lecturing Duterte on his use of extrajudicial killings. Now, um, extrajudicial killings aren't to be applauded, uh, you know, this is largely though how Duterte got into power. Like I say, he's got a huge approval ratings, similar way maybe to Tony Abbott saying he will stop the boats. He has actually stopped the boats. Uh, Duterte is uh getting stuck into the drug industry, uh, very often in what would appear to be a very heavy handed uh, manner, and um. So you know that's not great, but the U.S. government you would have to say is the last one that can preach about such things. They can't preach about extrajudicial killings. Well, well there are
0: a thousand cop killings this year.
2: Exactly. They, they, I mean, and amongst, amongst other things, they engage in such killings themselves. of foreign leaders very often the off <laughs> foreign uh, leaders uh, on a regular basis. Well, drones, drones kill anybody mm. anywhere. Yeah, anyone. Anyway. It could be. It could be. It could be anyone, you know. The Western media, though, chose to foc- uh, chose to ignore all of that. As we are just saying before, they like to ignore certain things. The Western media chose to focus mainly on Duterte's reply to Obama's lecturing. They said he used the term son of a whore to refer to the American leader. Some, those say that the, uh, I've a couple of people, and they say that the term is actually more like son of a bitch, which actually is a fairly common and not nearly so offensive a term, which uh, a lot of Americans use SOB. Oh, all uh, the time, all yeah. the time. So um, that is not the real issue, obviously. Washington, I would say, uh, the real issue is that they're not happy with the thirty show of independent action. What went largely unreported were Duterte's other words, and um, I think some of these words are actually uh, quite interesting, so I'll quote them. <clears throat> do not lecture me. I do not kneel down before anybody else except the Filipino people walking in misery and poverty and hunger. We inherited a lot of our problems from the United States. They invaded this country and made us their subjugated people. Look at the American drug problems and the human rights issues on their Mexican border. America has a lot to answer for its misdeeds in this country. If Obama can apologise for that, then I will answer his questions. Our country might be small, but we will not be insulted. We will continue to hunt down the drug manufacturers, and I don't give a shit about anybody observing my behaviour. I think these are wonderful words. I think, actually, if these words were broadcast a bit more uh, in the Western media, Obama might pull his head in a little bit. If people actually were to know about imperialism, the uh, the Philippines is an old U.S. colony, and uh, largely a satellite. And so this is... um, I've never seen a Filipino leader even speak like that. Like this bloke? No, no, actually, she's speaking like this. Um, wonderful words, and these are actually, this is actually second language, better than the ponderous, mumbling Obama, and uh, Obama's reply to Duterte was pathetic. However, Duterte's days might be numbered for saying such stuff. In this country in 2010, the Prime Minister Kevin Rudd was deposed in a palace coup, partly because he questioned Australia's support of American militarism in East Asia. And just last week another ALP politician, Sam Dastiari, lost his position supposedly for accepting it was it sixteen hundred bucks from a Chinese connection. It is more than likely that it was actually Dastiari's questioning of the pivot to Asia which also contributed to his fall from Greece. Now it's been suggested that he was being bought off. I mean, he's not, I don't doubt very much he's going to be bought off with 6900 bucks. bucks. Yeah, I yeah. think it might have to be a little bit more than that. But some are suggesting that he's been bought off to promote a Chinese um, position with regards to the whole issue. But I think actually it's, it, the sensible thing to to do would be adopt more uh, in the middle of the road position, you know. Well,
0: of course, and which is what um, Kevin Rudd, to his yes. great uh, loss, uh, attempted to... Mm. Kevin Rudd,
2: yeah, attempted um, to do that, you so know, just before be even-handed
0: with the, the, be more even-handed. the Chinese. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Washington
2: has never taken kindly to critics of its foreign policy. Imperialist powers never are, even when these critics are elected. Uh, even when these critics are elected leaders of sovereign nations, looking after their people's interests. I mean, the Taoiseach just been elected. He's got apparently ninety percent approval rating. This is what he's there to do. He's there to represent the Filipino people, not be a. As he used the word lapdog, he said, "I'm not going to be a lapdog, you know, to the United States." Um, You know, I mean, it it may be that. Actually, I mean, like, the fact that they are leaders of sovereign nations means that Washington looks at them and has, uh, you know, maybe got them on a hit list. As lapdogs. No, <laughs> you could be on a, either a lap dog or you're on the hit list. Yes, that's right. You know, yeah. there's a long list of politicians who have been there uh, deposed or killed for doing this. I won't go through all of them. And that's what Duterte is doing. Washington is also angry that he's seeking, a, we've, I've read that he's seeking a meeting with Vladimir Putin, who the US Democrats call the Godfather. You know this with uh, Clinton referring to Putin as the godfather? Yes. And yes. she lumps a whole lot of people who are enemies of hers. Nigel Farage, uh, you know, the Golden Dawn, the, the Scottish Nationalists, Marine Le Pen, you yeah, know. Yeah. I think the Duterte might be going into this basket too. Yes, yes, yes. And apparently yes. they're all being, um, you know, all, there's a puppet master behind it and it's the godfather and it's Vladimir Putin. The Duterte has every right to do what he's doing and say what he's saying without interference from the U.S., his words are not bad words. I think they're actually very inspirational words. So uh, you were going to speak a little bit about... Well, I
0: just—I was going to talk about the Israel just for one mm. second, mm. but I just thought, given we've had Pauline Hanson's speech, it might be worth making a, a comparison to see... Mm. How... She's,
2: she's changed a lot, though, hasn't she? She's really sort of like become a lot more aware than she was 20 years ago. Do you think? She, well, yeah, she's very favourable to Asians now.
0: Oh, that's right. There's, Asians, too, there's too many of them. You lucky Asians Asian people, are. you've made yeah. it. You've made it. <laughs> no, originally, she's not putting the burden to them anymore. Um, you might remember, during the 1970s, the uh, desire for Irish independence mm. led to a campaign by the IRA. I was in London at the time, and I mm. remember... They still didn't get you? They didn't get me though. I'm sure they tried. I'm sure number one target. (laughs) Uh, And and I remember, you know, one night there was a bomb square taking the tube. There was a bomb square, and a blow, a bomb had blown up somewhere. Now some of those bombs, I think, were laid by the security forces because their timing was too. Providential for the government. I oh, don't I'm,
2: think the Irish can manage that. What? You don't think the Irish can manage to. No, go on. Well, no,
0: well, I, I do think they do, but when you drop a bomb on the night when the British Parliament was deciding emergency measures, you'd okay. have to say that was a bit of a nudge by the British. <laughs> now, I can't prove that. I can't prove that. But regardless of that, the IRA did endorse essentially terror in London and uh, in England. And. Uh, But at the time, neither the British government, now think Muslim, think Muslim, neither Mm. the British government nor the people then Mm. said close the border to Catholics. No. No one (laughs) said stop Catholics from entering England. It's too late. Or all Catholics are terrorists. Mm. Some of my friends are Catholics and they're nice, but now we've got to turn all Catholics back at the the border. Mm. Now that didn't happen. (laughs) Because most people knew that the majority of Catholics weren't in fact terrorists. Yeah. Now can I Pauline, can you not see the analogy the analogy here?
2: I don't think she could, you know. She no, really no, I'm yeah, assuming she yeah, she's made up her mind at the age of maybe about seven, eight years old. Well that's and true. she's she's, she's not changing it. it? The other and thing, she's doing well, she's making money out of it. And I don't think the green should have walked out of it. That was a very stupid thing to do. I would have stayed uh, in the heckle. Uh, yeah. I mean that they should they should stay there and take challenge. but I think that's what the Greens like to do is take the moral high ground. Yes, <laughs> I, know. You know, I know. Look how superior right. we are. Yes sir. We
0: can't even bear to be in the same, same room, room as this no, I know it's pathetic. I, I think their response <laughs> I think they should have blown that, raspberries, at least when she says something or laugh at her. I mean that's what she deserves. But what I wanted to talk about just briefly in the the time we've got left, the United States is going to give Israel Thirty-eight billion dollars U.S. Thir- US billion thirty-eight billion dollars mm. U.S. In military aid after a new agreement was reached last Tuesday, mm. Israel will be receiving thirty-eight billion dollars in military equipment from the U.S., amounting to three point eight billion per year over a ten-year period, starting in twenty nineteen to twenty uh, twenty-nine. Mm. The current U.S. aid package, which is due to expi- uh, expire in two years' time, mm-hmm. al- originally allotted roughly $3.1 billion mm-hmm. in subsidies per to frozen, year. Per year. Mm-hmm. Congress recently voted to increase that aid by $500 million annually. $5 billion of the new $38 billion deal is expected to be spent on missile defence systems. Mm-hmm. Israel's new $38 billion military subsidi- subsidy from the United States is a stark contrast to how Obama's administration has viewed Palestinians. In October 2015, Obama cut Palestinian aid by $80 million to send a message to pa- the Palestinian Authority, President Mahmoud Abbas. When well, compared to the new 700- seven hundred seven. 100 million to 800 million increase in annual subsidies to the Israeli military. This means the United States' increased commitment to funding Israeli military operations is 10 times more than last year's cuts to economic aid for Palestinians. The latest military package amounts to US taxpayers subsidizing violations of Palestinian human rights. And Plus a whole lot of United Nations resolutions. Well, as, uh, not to mention those. Sixty or so. The announcement of the aid package comes on the heels of increasing tensions between Jewish settlers and Palestinian families in occupied mm-hmm. West Bank Territory. Mm-hmm. Over the weekend, a six-year-old Palestinian girl was killed by an Israeli driver in a hit-and-run incident. The driver turned himself in, to his credit, and told the authorities he didn't intentionally run the girl over, which was very reassuring for his family, I suppose, Since last year's outbreak of Israeli-Palestinian violence, this is in the last 12 months, Palestinian authorities have claimed 235 Palestinians have been killed. The Israelis reported 40 of theirs had been killed. So it goes on with no end in sight. And look, frankly, people who are arguing for a two-state solution are pulling your leg. The two-state solution is never going to happen. And the Israeli government's settling of uh, the occupied territories is guaranteed to prevent that. Now, you wanted to comment on this.
2: Yeah, I just wanted to say a couple of things. There, uh, this was in the age yesterday quite a small article, really, because but it's a huge story. And this is uh, they say this is the largest um, military contract of its kind ever. Really, The largest one. So the largest strike, largest military contract and there doesn't really get much media. Now, I'm just going to take a couple of things. Uh, Mr. Netanyahu, it says, agreed to several concessions to cement the deal because he was looking for $5 billion per year. Um, rather than gamble on winning better terms from the next president, he sees what he can get from Obama. One of the concessions, this is what, you know, they call it concessions that Netanyahu has made, mm. but it's a tricky little deal from the Americans. One of the concessions is that expenditure on Israeli products will be phased out. Now, I'm assuming most of the weapons will be American. The, 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 most countries will apart from Russia, they want American weapons. They're usually the best, the most advanced weapons. Yes, yes. Um, and they're also the biggest. So I don't know what the uh, Israel actually spends uh, of this money on Israeli products, but that will be phased out, and eventually the money will all be spent on purchasing military goods made in the United States. Right. It so, uh, all goes back into the US military <laughs> <Yeah>. industrial <laughs> complex. A nice little deal, you know. Yes, yes. Now, um... This is a good paragraph. Israel also agreed not to seek additional funds from Congress during the next decade, unless, of course, both parties agree it's needed, such as in the case of war. Can you imagine a war breaking out in the Middle East, which might involve Israel? I mean, I can't see...
0: had to
2: We've already seen that... Congress added a $500 million a year for missile defence just recently. So it's to be expected that Israel will be asking for more. They will always want more. Oh, of course they will. Yeah, of course now, I just wanted to say a couple of things about this. Um, the US is able to do this because they're the strongest military and the strongest economic power in the world. They may be economically in decline, say that, didn't. but they're still by far the richest Israel is also not the tail which wags the American dog, as some like to suggest. I don't believe it is. This Ooh. is the, the United States. The United States is the they're the one. They're the big power. Well, I mean, to imagine the other way around it's just and that, Some do, you know, it's like this: the tail wagging the dog. There is, of course, a big pro-Israel tendency in American business and politics. Politicians who criticise the Zionist state are almost non-existent in the mainstream. Well, there are more Jewish people in New York than there are in Israel. Mm. Yeah, well, Israel is like about five, six million, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Still, the United States is the dominant power by far and subservient to none. They're also by far the world's leading imperialist power. Let's say they have been for over 70 years. Well, since <laughs> the Second World War, yeah. Mm. At an increasing level, uh, you like to mention that, at an increasing level of interference in other countries' affairs. We've just seen the Philippines. We've just seen uh, Biden and Obama in East Asia. We've seen Biden and Obama in and Well, Clinton with 185 and bases worldwide.
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, Ukraine? Yeah.
2: I mean, if they are are in decline, you know, I mean, economically, they don't sell what the Chinese sell or whatever. But what they do sell, they sell uh, It's not cheap stuff like shoes and clothes. I mean, they're selling stuff like weaponry. Yeah, of course. high tech. (laughs) We don't see this. You know, you don't pick up, you know, every now and again, a rocket-propelled grenade, you know, made in the U.S. It's not something you normally do. But anyway, I made a pair of, uh, you know of jeans or something made in China, but they're you know, they're, they may be in decline, but they're still the, the, the richest and the uh, militarily by far the most powerful. So, that's, that's all I want to say on that. No,
0: no, no. All right, um, uh, what else have you got, Chris? Uh, I'm just thinking about that. We'll um, have a tiny station message and uh, we'll be back in one second,
1: gentlemen. This panel is now on air. In July 1976, from an old warehouse in High Street Armadale, 3CR Community Radio hit the airwaves, heralding 40 years of independent, community-owned and controlled radio. This will be the first station owned and operated by a cooperative of community organisations on a Melbourne-wide basis. This is 3CR. As the status quo of old media is challenged, as publications come and go... In a country with the highest concentration of media ownership in the world, 3CR continues to broadcast radical, insightful radio, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're
0: not talking about land rights, we're talking about sovereignty. That's why it's important for us to be at the 10 Embassy.
1: From the protests against the Franklin River Dam to the 1998 waterfront dispute, from the East-West Tunnel picket to the Aboriginal Ten Embassy, the history of 3CR is dynamic and passionate and ongoing.
0: I was born here.
1: I will die here.
0: I am not moving.
1: So as we celebrate 40 years in 2016, we ask you, our volunteers, listeners and supporters to join in in saying...
2: Happy birthday, 3CR! Also, oh, we're down on the money, Chris. <clears throat> uh,
0: we, we've got two minutes to go, but why don't you start calling up now? The number to ring is 94894. No, I'm giving you my home phone number. <laughs> uh, What the hell stu- are you doing? How stupid is this? <laughs> 9419 nine, 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 You've
2: <laughs> only said it twenty thousand times. I mean, no, you know, I know, so. I know. But when
0: I start using my own phone number this nine four one nine zero one double five. Any topic, whether we've talked about it or not, and whether you agree with us or not, um, we'd love to hear from you. Um, it's it is interesting, though, even though she's utterly repulsive, uh, Pauline Hanson. You. You wonder at the sort of people who vote for it. Mm. That's that's, I think, the part that's most frightening.
2: You don't think halal certification is a major oh, issue, then, Christopher? What's that? Halal certification is not a pressing issue for you. Oh, look, on I, a at basis. I think people. I worry don't. about it. I stay awake at night. Well, uh, that's Come right. on.
0: Look, I'm unemployed and I'm poor. But that what gets me going is not not getting a prospect Bloody of a job or getting st- money, but halal certification. I mean, it's just so... I mean, I think the only thing that could be asked about <laughs> how old Certification, <clears throat> is there cruelty to animals involved? If yes. there's not... Oh, yeah,
2: that like cutting off the throat. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, the live sheep trade... That, they well, the live sheep trade should be stopped. Joyce, Barnaby Joyce restarted that. Can I just say something about, and I'm sure you got it too, there was an email which was going around which saw Barnaby Joyce with his face smashed. And mm. that's uh, not to be uh, applauded. I don't believe.
0: Well, what was that from? Didn't you see that email? <laughs> oh, I saw yeah, I, mean, really. I saw him with his thing. but how was that caused? The picture. I mean, there's a picture no, well, it with it red was, spots it's, on his face. It
2: is a picture. No, that's no, not spots on his face. It is a picture of like, Barnaby Joyce looking like he'd just been beaten up. But had he been? On the right. No, I don't think so. What? It was supposedly a joke. But uh, I don't really think that that's that's the sort of, uh, you know, it's not political debate and it's not really amusing. And I don't think people should be writing in and uh, laughing about that sort of stuff. Uh,
0: No, no, no. Although one must. No, 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 no. Because (laughs) you wouldn't want it done to you. (laughs) No, no. Well, I don't even know whether it was done to him.